0: Good job guys, Rhett, Ryan, Paul. Thank you for leading us in worship. I was singing along. I thought about coming up and joining you guys, but I wanted everybody to stay in here. Well, I hope you've had a good week. My week has been long. It's been a week of struggle. Mid Midweek, in fact, it was right as we were about to start a prayer service. Paul and Gwen can testify this, and others who were here on Wednesday, like this cold just like came down upon me instantly, and so I've gone through about three or four boxes of Kleenexes, I think, and so it's not just any cold, it's a man cold, which is uh pretty severe. Doctors are still studying such a thing, but uh, <clears throat> we'll make it through this morning. Looking forward to preaching to you. Um, As we hear from God's Word, Matthew chapter 6 is a wonderful chapter. In fact, at one point in this week, early on, I was thinking I was going to do Matthew 6 and 7. Those thoughts dissipated quickly once I started getting into Matthew 6. But let us stand together as I read to us and as we hear the reading and preaching of God's Holy Word. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, help us to seek first your kingdom. Lord, we recognize we seek a lot of things from early in the morning to late at night. So, Lord, help us to be driven and focused on seeking your kingdom. Apart from Christ, we can do so no such thing. So, Lord, we need Christ. We want to be united to Christ. So, as believers in Christ, I pray that you'll lead us by your Spirit. Lord, I do pray for anyone here this morning who's not united to Christ, who's not trusting in your Son alone for salvation, that they, too, can be part of the family of God if they trust in Christ. So, Lord, we pray, Father, that you will lead us by your righteous right hand, that you will sanctify your people. We pray that you will be honored and glorified in all things. Lord, teach us to trust in you. You are good. Help us to believe that. You provide. Remind us of that daily. And you lead us. We thank you as your children. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you're seeing a beware sign like maybe when you're walking on the beach down in Gulf Shores or in Panama City or Destin, a a beware sign that might have said, beware shallow water, no diving, or beware of jellyfish, or beware of cliffs, keep clear, or a more common sign is beware of dog, maybe in their neighborhood. Well, I saw this one this past week. It was kind of funny. It said, do you have it there, Stephen? There we go. Beware of attack flamingo. That's one I haven't seen a lot of, but uh, all of these signs point us to be aware of our surroundings. Well, Jesus, here in Matthew chapter 6, is telling us to beware of something, not the attack flamingo. Rather, he's telling us to beware of the hypocrites, and more than the hypocrites, to beware of the sin in our own lives, beware of our hearts he says to us, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He's not saying, don't be righteous. I mean, we know our righteousness is found in Christ, but he's saying, do not be practicing your righteousness, do not be practicing your religion in a way to where the spotlight is on you, where the focus is on you. That is not the goal of um, walking with God or following God. Jesus goes on to tell us through several practical illustrations, whether through giving, through prayer, through fasting, and then most of all the the very practical illustrations at the end of how we follow God, how we are devoted to God in a practical way. So Jesus tells us to first, in the first four verses, to give to the needy. We are to give to the poor. But he says, don't give to the needy so that others will notice you. You know, the goal is not, well, look who I'm giving to. Look what I'm doing so that others might praise you. That's not the goal and the focus of what Jesus is saying here. He says we're to give, but not in a hypocritical, uh, self-righteous way. We're to give in a humble way, in a way that's uh, the overflow of our relationship with God. In serving God and loving God and being devoted to God, we will give to others. And we see in verse 4, it says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. This phrase is used time and again in this passage, your father sees in secret. He sees what you're doing. So what we do is not for the praise of others and the praise of man, but rather for the praise of God. He sees what you do, and what does the passage say? He will reward you. So the goal is not on my sermons this morning and our text is not about what those rewards are, but the point is you will be rewarded. You will be with God and he will notice your devotion to him. Proverbs 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So we must remember God sees all and knows all. This isn't Don't hear this as, be careful, God sees you. Be careful, God knows what you're doing. But rather, God is good and he delights in giving good things to his children and he will reward those who are devoted to him, not their own self-righteous acts. And so we see that God sees all and knows all. Jesus tells his disciples here to beware of practicing righteousness in a hypocritical fashion because God knows not only what we do, but why we do it. He knows what we do, but why we do the things that we do. He examines our hearts. And remember that God examines us, and as he examines us, he exhorts us, time again through this passage, to be dependent upon him. Jesus is teaching us to be dependent on him in all things. And so when we can't see what's going on in each and every situation, we must pray to our Father in heaven, knowing that he made us, And he has plans that are good for us. Look with me in the next section, verses 5 through 15. We see Jesus talking about the importance of prayer. In verse 5, he gives a negative instruction and then states the reward. Then in verse 6, he gives a positive instruction and then states the reward. But we must not get caught up in where we are praying. Okay, pray in the closet or don't pray in the closet or pray in the street corner or don't pray here. It's not about where we are praying, but rather why we are praying, and who we are praying to. Theophylactus, an ancient poet, once said, it is not the place that harms, but the nature and the purpose. So in verse 7, we get a glimpse of what Jesus is after. It's not a formula, but rather seeking God in prayer. In verse 7, what does it say? It says, when you pray... As followers of God, as believers in Christ, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So there's this constant contrast. This is what the Gentiles do. This is what the pagans do. This is what the nations do. But as believers in God, as followers of Christ, this is how you are to act. This is how you are to give and to pray. And so here we see we do not pray as they do. We pray trusting in God, following God. Jesus warns us against having a wrong heart or a wrong motive which will result in the praise of others instead of the praise of God. And we see in this section particularly, but throughout the chapter, God as Father. God as our Father. God as our Heavenly Father who watches over us and who protects us and who provides for us, particularly at the end of the chapter, God as Father is mentioned four times in verses 7 through 15. And what is the point as we see God as Father? We see that He made us. We see that He knows us. He sees us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He forgives us. All of these themes are present in this section. So we must recognize and respect and revere God's holy name. We must respect, revere, and see God's holy name. It's to be hallowed. We see in the first part of the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure you have read this, prayed this often, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Early on as a Christian, I had no idea what those words meant. I was just like, well, you just say them, and it's part of a good prayer, and you just keep going on. But when we say, Our Father, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, what are we saying? We're saying God's name is to be set apart. It's to be respected. It's to be revered. It is a holy name because it reflects a holy God. Amen. So when we say, Hallowed be your name, we are respecting and revering God's holy, holy name. It's to be set apart in our prayers, but more than just our prayers, it's to be set apart in our lives. Do we set apart God as holy in our lives? Again, and through the Lord's Prayer, we see that God is good that he provides for us, our daily bread, our daily needs. He leads us. He delivers us. And most importantly, in verses 12 and 13, what does he do? He forgives us. God forgives us of our sins and of our trespasses. God forgives you. And so as a result, we forgive others. It's not an option. It's not, well, I might forgive you, but we must forgive others because God has forgiven us. So as followers of Christ, we see the beauty of salvation, but also of restoration and reconciliation through the power of God. Even believers can be brought back together, even when there's great sin and turmoil and misunderstanding and uncertainty and and just all sorts of wreckage from this fallen world. We see that sin no longer has dominion over believers. We've been forgiven, and so we forgive others. This is good news. We can forgive others. Amen. As we continue in this chapter, look with me in verses 16 through 18. We see this passage on fasting. You've heard me say many times we often neglect the discipline of fasting or forget it altogether, or we fast from uh, sweets or fast from this or fast from that or fast altogether from food. Well, here, Jesus tells us that fasting is to be a regular part of our lives. Just as Christians should be known as generous and giving to the poor, Christians should be known as people who fast. Not marking it on our calendars, not advertising it, look how much I've fasted this week. But rather, as we fast, what are we doing? We are dependent upon God. As one pastor once said, we need God's mercy more than we need a meal. It's always dangerous saying that at 11.30 on a Sunday morning, but we do need God's mercy more than we need a meal. Again, This section reminds us of our dependence upon God. So Jesus teaches us the spotlight is not to be on us. We must fast out of devotion to God, for He has chosen us to love Him and to serve Him with our whole heart. Then as we move on, verses 19-24, through Jesus again draws our attention back to our hearts. Back to our hearts. We must examine our hearts, examine our motives. And in this section, our hearts must be focused on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Our focus and our treasure is not found on earth. This earth is fallen and its fallenness is seen through cars that rust, clothes that deteriorate, homes deteriorate as boards rot, as molding, as uh, siding molds. We can't fix our eyes on this earth. Rather, we fix our eyes on heaven where our true joy and treasure lies. Listen to what Jonathan Pennington said. He says, only a fool would choose to store treasures in a place that offers no security and promises destruction and loss. So we must not focus on this earth because it promises destruction and loss. Then look with me in verse 21. Verse 21 kind of summarizes the first 20 verses. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is an easy verse to memorize. Let's memorize it this morning. Let's say it together. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not so sure we got it all memorized, but at least we said it once together. You can work on it throughout this week. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Such a good, powerful verse reminding us, what are we seeking? What are we longing and following after? We, as believers in Christ, are not to serve the treasures the world runs after. This is why Jesus tells us in this passage in verse 24 you cannot serve God and money. Jesus spoke often about money as one of his most popular passages. He spoke about money often. He knew the dangers of money. Jesus says, It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The point is, money can be, emphasis on can, be dangerous and destructive. Paul says the love of money is the root of all evil. The key here is when you have money and a lot of it, the tendency is to depend upon it. The tendency is for that to be your savior, for that to be your idol, And the more you have, the more you crave, and eventually it can lead to your own death. So Jesus tells us not to serve money, but instead to serve God by laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So how do we do this? How do we serve God by laying up treasures in heaven? By trusting God to provide. Trusting in his character, trusting in his promises, trusting in what he said he will do. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, what has he said? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, I love that part there. If God has said this, then we can say this. We can confidently say The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We see the character of God. We see the response of man. God is faithful, and we are thankful. We respond with thanksgiving and rejoicing that uh, man cannot do harm to me knowing God is in control. Or he cannot do eternal harm to me, that is. So we see here in this passage, <clears throat> Jesus warns about money. And we remember that God is our Father, and we trust Him and save Him for eternity, but also as He leads us every day. Let's look at the last section, verses 25 through 34. This is a very popular passage. I'm sure it has brought encouragement to you at one point or time. This passage, verses 25 to 34, were very important to me when i was 11 12 years of age as many of you know that's when i became a christian follower of christ and that's when my parents almost divorced it was a very turbulent time in my household and i remember clearly it's amazing sometimes childhood memories you can remember certain specific things where you're at uh time very very detailed aspects of your life i remember a very key moment when i was 11 or 12 and, uh, my mom was upset and she was crying, a lot of, uh, pain and heartache. And we turned in the Bible to Matthew 6 and we read this passage together and prayed and read this passage again. And it was such an encouraging reminder that God is faithful to us, to my mom and I, and He's faithful to you. It's easy to, to, Look at this passage and say, Well, that was for the disciples or that was for back then, but we see that this is relevant and practical today. So look with me at this last passage verses twenty five through thirty four We see the basic things of life. We must remember that we all at one point or another worry about the basic things of life, whether we worry about lunch or supper or what we will wear tomorrow. We must remember, as Jesus says. Life is more than food. It's more than clothing. And so Jesus uses very practical, real illustrations as he reminds us God provides. He provides for the birds of the air. He provides for the flowers of the field. So whether it's barn swallows or house sparrows, God provides for them. He provides food. He provides shelter for these small birds. And now he says, are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than these birds? He's like, these are just birds, but you are my most prized creation. God feeds the birds, and he will feed you. So then Jesus asks a heart-revealing question. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's like, raise your hand if you know that's going to help you out. You know, all the disciples look at one another. Is that you? Not me. And so Jesus gives us a mild rebuke here when we get anxious or overly fearful over the events we face. Our worry and our anxiety do not produce answers. You know, when I've been anxious or worried, someone's like, oh, well, now that solves it all. Now I've got all these answers. No, it doesn't produce answers. What does it produce? Unbelief and more problems. Listen to this quote by uh, Jonathan Pennington. He says, hearers are invited to consider the foolishness of anxiety when anxiety can do absolutely nothing to improve one's security. God-dependent prayer is the solution, not sustenance-focused anxiety. We see here that God will provide all that we need. He talks about the birds of the air in verse 28. Now he talks about the flowers in the fields. And just like the birds... Jesus reminds us that God is the one who's watering the grass. He's the one who's watching over the flowers. He is the one who's watching over all these things. But even more so, He will watch over you. As Mike read from Psalm 139, He created us from the beginning of time. He formed us together in our mother's womb. He watches over us. He will protect us. He will sustain us. And most importantly, He will lead us. And so we must remember that God is in control. So Jesus tells his disciples as they contemplate all of these anxious thoughts, he says, oh, you of little faith, where is your faith? Or more importantly, who is your faith residing in or what are you resting in? It must not be in our resources, our abilities, but rather in Christ, in Christ alone. So because of God's character and because of His faithfulness provide, we must trust Him. Look with me at verse 31. It says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Jesus asks these questions, not telling us to eliminate all questions, but rather for us to examine our motives. Jesus tells us in verse 32, He reminds us, He says, the Gentiles, the nations, the unbelieving world, they seek after all these things. But it's like he's saying, but not you. Not you who follow Christ. Not you who believe in God. That's not the way that we operate. Yesterday, when I was at the marriage conference and seminar, Dave Harvey said this. He said, the way we respond to sin should look different than the way the world responds. Think about that for a second. The way that we respond to sin should look different than the way the world responds. So likewise, our goals and desires should be markedly different than the desires of unbelievers. The unbelievers don't know God's providential and beneficial care. So our goals, our desires should be different than the way the rest of the world functions. As children of God, we know God as Father and we know that He knows our needs, He meets our needs, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that we will have every single thing that we ever ask or imagine, but rather He will provide for you, here's the key, to carry out His will. Whether you are um, in a starving home in Southeast Asia or Africa, God will provide everything you need to carry out His will. So we must remember We are to be known as the people of God who trust God. We don't live for lawlessness and rebellion, but we seek the kingdom of God. Look with me at the last two verses. We're almost done. In verse 33, kind of the key climax verse of the whole chapter, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. This is the remedy. This is the remedy to anxiety. As we're worried, as we're caught up, as we're building these schemes and scenarios, as we're having recently this this, uh, phrase that I've, that I've coined or that I've come up with is building our own false narrative. As we start to build this story, we have to destroy that false narrative by what God's Word says. Here is the remedy. Seek first the kingdom of God. We're not to seek our kingdom. We're not to seek our glory. We're not to seek our selfish ambitions, but we seek the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, again, is God's righteous rule. And the righteousness of God points us to his supreme reign and perfect rule. So when we are seeking the kingdom of God, we are living in line and in accordance with God's design. This last week, a member of this church told me, he said, sometimes I wonder if I'm doing enough for the kingdom. I've thought that same thing before. Maybe you have thought that same thing before. But let me encourage him and all of us by reminding us, what it means to do work for the kingdom. It's praying with other believers. It's proclaiming the good news. It's obeying Jesus' commands. It's casting your burdens onto God. It's learning to follow King Jesus as Lord through suffering. And there's many more things that we can add to that. So as we seek first the kingdom of God, we must first seek to follow God. We must not be driven by our own anxiety. I know how, tripl- how troubling and crippling anxiety can be in my own life. Maybe <clears throat> maybe in your life as well. Any given day can be an anxious day, a worrisome day, a troubling day, and you start to think, how am I going to finish this day? Where is it going all going to end? Let alone this day. What about tomorrow that looks. the forecast looks even worse? so we can become overwhelmed with our worry and anxiety. But let me encourage you, as Jesus does, to trust in God. Look with me at the last verse, verse 34. It's very practical. He says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Now, that's a comfort to me, but we could flip that on its head. It's like, maybe this is not so comforting. There's going to be trouble tomorrow, just like today. And so, um, try not to be so pessimistic as we go through this. But remember, verse 34 is not an isolated verse. We had 33 verses before that reminding us that God is good and provides for us. So, remember that in context. So, as Jesus says, don't be anxious tomorrow. We must remember who is in charge of tomorrow. Who holds tomorrow? God the eternal, everlasting God. Amen. Ed Welch says this about anxiety. The odd thing is that fear and anxiety are running away from something, but they don't know what to run to. They know danger, but they don't know where to find peace and rest. But what does Jesus say? Come to me, come to me, all who are heavy laden and worn out and frustrated and anxious, and I will give you rest. Ed Welch says, the more you read Scripture, the more you actually talk to God rather than think about fear. As believers in Christ, we must not allow anxiety and fear to rule our lives. So when you wake up in the morning... I don't know if you're about like me or not. Hopefully not in many cases. But, um, your, your tendency might be to, I'm trying to not plug in my phone or leave my phone next to the bedstand. I'm trying to move it over to the bathroom. You can pray for me in that area. But, um, tendency is just to grab the phone. It's right there. Check email. Check social media. Check all these things. But when you do that, you're priming your heart. You're priming your heart to start worrying about things you didn't even know you needed to worry about because you don't need to worry about them so when you begin that habit we begin to prime your mind with the worries of today and tomorrow and the day after that you begin a very unhealthy habit instead spend time in the word and as we spend time in the word even if it's just a short amount of time those worries they disappear because again who's in control of today And who's sovereign over tomorrow? The everlasting God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.